worked as a delivery driver for most of his life. For years, he drove a truck for Pepsi, then for a beer distributor. More recently, he made deliveries for a restaurant supply company. Marsha, whom Myers sometimes calls Mama, is a cafeteria worker at a local high school. My wife's tougher than a crocodile and alligator combined, he said, causing Marsha to roll her eyes. She has a nice smile round face and a curly mop of thick strawberry blonde hair that was somewhat wilted after a long day over the cafeteria's steam tables. She knows it's best sometimes just to ignore me, Myers said with a shrug, flashing his gums and emitting another whoop. Marcia, who was dressed in flannel sweatpants and a blue Life is Good t-shirt, a freebie from the school, drifted in and out of the room as we spoke. She hates to even think about the topic that had brought me to their trailer on the outskirts of Dayton that day. The pair met in West Palm Beach, Florida, when Myers was 35 and Marsha was 19. Tommy had grown up in Dayton, but after his divorce, he arranged a transfer through Pepsi. There, he worked with Marsha's brother and played with him in a softball league, which is how Myers and Marsha came to meet shortly after she had given birth to a baby boy. Life was good in Florida, Myers said, but he missed Dayton and eventually they moved north. Home in Florida had been a trailer, but once in Dayton, the couple decided to buy a home they found in a white working-class neighborhood. The house cost only $60,000, but for Myers, who was about to turn 60, and Marcia in her 40s, it felt like a small palace. There was an upstairs and a downstairs and a finished basement with a washer-dryer. The place had three bedrooms, or four if you included the utility room that seemed a wild extravagance after so many years fitting their lives into a cramped double-wide. They had a decent-sized backyard where Marcia liked to tend to her plants. The monthly payment was $526, including property taxes and insurance. They painted their new home white and, because Marcia loved her home team, trimmed it in Miami Dolphins' teal. Myers started thinking about retirement, he would turn 65 in 2000, and it would be nice to slow down. But then Marcia got sick, and he thought about all the calls he had been getting from a man he's now inclined to refer to sarcastically as his guardian angel. He was a salesman for the consumer finance giant Household Finance Corporation, phoning one name on a long list of prospects. By 2001, when the Myerses borrowed $95,000 from Household, this venerable U.S. corporation would rank as the country's top subprime lender. Household Finance was established in 1878 by a Minneapolis jeweler named Frank J. Mackey, who sensed the money to be made through loans to people of modest means. Through the late 19th century and into the 20th, banks were conservative institutions that loaned money to affluent citizens at a slightly higher interest rate than they paid those same citizens for their deposits. In the name of reducing risk, they categorically excluded potential customers who had jobs but did not look, act like, or even speak the language of their prosperous, mostly property-owning clientele. So Mackey started loaning money to those heretofore excluded people out of the back of his jewelry store, at an interest rate high enough to protect against the increased risk but low enough to remain affordable. Business was good for both Mackey and his credit-starved customers. The working people who borrowed money from Mackey, the working poor, if we were talking about them today, proved themselves to be a diligent and largely dependable lot. 
Mackey created a system by which people made regular partial payments on what they owed him. That enabled families living paycheck to paycheck to purchase big-ticket items such as furniture and iceboxes and handle emergencies too great for their weekly paychecks to accommodate. Mackey might have seen himself as doing nothing more ambitious than providing credit to people at the bottom of the economic ladder, but essentially, he invented the unsecured installment loan. He moved his company to Chicago, and in the 1920s, HFC went public. It was an enormously profitable business that for decades could be sustained simply by opening offices in new locales. But in the 1960s, the company grew restless. Flush with cash, HFC acquired an airline, a car rental company, and a supermarket chain, among other properties. None proved anywhere near as lucrative as the personal loan business, however, and in the second half of the 1970s, management decided that it would follow in the footsteps of giants such as Citibank.